are listening to the Batflip Podcast, a baseball podcast from Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Damian and Matt. Welcome back, everyone, to the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damian here with my co-host, Matt. We are finally coming back to you on December 22nd of 2021. Uh, sorry for the uh, the delay on the episode. Uh, I had was battling the uh, like a head cold, and I thought I was getting over it. And then a couple days later, I ended up getting the flu. Um, and it took me out for basically all of last week. I was basically sick in bed. Um, and so I could not put the energy and, and the focus I needed to put in on the show to, to make this what we do, but, uh, we're back now. Um, hopefully we're, you know, going to get some, uh, some, you know, going into this new year, we'll, we'll, uh, you know, improve for you guys and be more consistent on that. But, uh, anyways, before we jump into everything we have going on on this show, how you doing, Matt? Doing pretty good. Um. Uh... Fortunately, I haven't had the flu or cold so far, knock on wood. I do not um, recommend it. Yeah, it's, I know it's not fun, <laughs> but um, I've been, uh, you know, just, uh, just patiently waiting. You know, it, we were able to not, you know, be super in a hurry about our episodes because nothing's been happening since, since the last uh, episode we had. We had that that week, there was stuff happened, but then since then, it's been lockout, which we'll talk about in a little bit, so... Um, you know, nothing, literally nothing is happening in MLB. There's been a couple little minor, uh, you know, minor league contract sign, which is legal right now. And then it's also legal to sign overseas. Um, so that's been going on a little bit too, but, uh, you know, there, there's been very little news come out other than, you know, there's a couple manager hirings out of actual MLB. So, uh, definitely some, uh, you know, definitely slow the last couple of weeks, but we're, um, we're doing. Uh, we're we're gonna catch up this week. We've got. We've, we've had. We've we have the ability to catch up because of how slow it's been. So, uh, we'll, we're gonna bring you a good, uh, good little bit of analysis on what's happened. Uh, what happened in that last week before the lockout, and uh, what's going gonna happen going forward here. Yeah. So I think our last episode was I think the day before the lockout um, on the non-tender deadline. There was really no big names that got non-tendered. Um, I would, I think we were looking before the show, like Richard Rodriguez, who was, a, a you know, one of the big trade deadline names that the Braves acquired. Uh, he was non-tendered, but outside of that, there was just really no other big names. Um, nothing like we had the past year or two, uh, come out from that. We're going to get into the rest of the free agents. Like you said, that we either happened the, the night of we were recording or that, that lockout day. Um, we'll talk about the manager hirings and then just a little bit of the lockout talk and kind of what's been being said and, and what to look forward to. Uh, but we'll we'll go ahead and just dive right in and start with the, the Joey Wendell getting traded from the Tampa Bay Rays to the Miami Marlins for outfield prospect Cameron Meisner. Yeah, so uh, this is a pretty interesting trade for sure. Uh, Joey Wendell is actually a pretty decent player. Um, he's kind of a role player type guy. Uh, 2021 had a good season, put up almost three wins above replacement. Um, you know, 265, 319, 422 line, uh, slightly above league average hitter. He's pretty versatile. He can place, you know, different positions on the infield. Um, and he's a good defensive player, kind of wherever he's at. Um, he can play short, plays third, plays second. Um, you know, he, he's a pretty solid contact-oriented everyday player. A little bit of speed, can steal some bases. Um, his career year in 2018, put up four war. Um, you know, he, he's just kind of a solid every day or solid bench type player uh utility guy um and uh you know the give up for that was it was a a guy who you know is is actually a pretty decent looking prospect and uh cameron meisner um 
he's a guy who is, uh, you know, um, he's a guy who is a very, um, very much a, a power, you know, a power speed type guy. Um, he's actually a 45 future value on fan graphs, uh, the number 10 prospect now for the Rays. Um, you know, can do some good things. He's an outfielder. Um, put up decent numbers in the minor leagues. His strikeout rate's a little bit high. Um, so uh, just a 244 average in, in high A this year. But, um, you know, good walk rate, at, you know, over 12% and hits the ball hard, hits for some power, definitely can steal some bases. So uh, a guy who I think you could definitely say this trade was worth for the for the Rays as, as they have such a log jam on their infield that they really don't need some of these guys anyways. Yeah, and then especially with the emergence of Wander Franco, um, and I think even Taylor Walls is going to get a lot of playing time this year. Um, and you still have a guy like Brandon Lau kind of holding down second base. It made Wendell expendable. Um, and, you know, to go to for the Marlins, it's a good trade. You trade an outfield prospect for a guy who has a couple years of club control. Um, he can be a solid piece on a contending team, as we've seen him be with the Tampa Bay Rays already. Um, and, I, you know, before the whole lockout, they had actually they had him or no, it was actually after they had him on MLB Network on the or on the uh, MLB radio. It is. And he said that even from the little initial conversations that he had had, you know, in the little time he had talking to Don Mattingly, they even see him as maybe being an everyday third baseman for the Marlins. So that's going to be interesting to see um, going forward if, if, you know, what's happening there with like a Brian Anderson or whatever. But it's a solid get for the Tampa Bay Rays and a, a prospect, you know, like you said, a big power and speed type guy. Um, if they were able to cut down his strikeouts, you know, I don't I never doubt the Tampa Bay Rays being able to find out what's wrong with the prospect. If, you know, nothing that not that there is anything wrong, but to be able to, you know, make him do what he does even better. I, I don't put it past the Rays one bit to figure that out. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree 100 um, percent. And uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, you know, I'm never somebody who believes that uh, guys who are in that who are in that same situation end up typically becoming really good big leaguers, you know, high strikeouts at, at a lower level like that. But every now and then one will hit. And, um, and you know, the Rays are a team that doesn't seem to be super scared of high strikeout um, guys like that. They, they're a pretty strikeout, they, they're a pretty strikeout heavy team and they are able to, uh, you know, to get away with that. So uh, definitely something to look for um, and, and a guy to look for in the future. Absolutely. Well, we'll move on, and this one we're kind of just going to group three kind of moves together, but we'll obviously you know, spend the time we need to talk about it because there is a pretty big one in here, and that's the Chicago Cubs added uh, starting pitcher Marcus Stroman on a three-year $71 million deal with an opt-out after year two. They signed uh, catcher Jan Gomes to a two-year $13 million deal that also has a club option, um, and they signed former Yankee Clint Frazier on a one-year major league deal. Yeah, so uh, these were very interesting moves for the Cubs. Um, Clint Frazier is a guy that um, has at times shown his talent at the big league level. He was a top prospect. Ironically enough, uh, I believe he was with the Cubs when he was a prospect. No, he, sorry, he was with Cleveland. Um, yeah, he got traded in the uh, in the Andrew Miller trade. Yep. Uh, I, I get him and uh, Torres confused because they were both traded at the same time, but it was he was traded there. Um, from from Cleveland in that in that trade, um, and, and in the big leagues, he's just never really found his footing. Um, he's dealt with a lot of injuries. I think concussions have been a big problem for him. It's massive. But yeah, but but you know, since he's been around, 
he has done pretty well in the big leagues. He's got a career. He's been a league above league average hitter in his career. In 2020, he he was able to play 39 games, which was uh you know a pretty good portion of the season, and uh, he put up a great line with a 150 WRC plus, put up 1.4 wins above replacement. In 2020, 2021, dealt with the injuries again. But, you know, when he was playing, it was just dreadful um, this past year. A 257 batting average on balls in play probably has a lot to do with that, which is well under what he's typically hit. So it's it's a pretty good guy to take a flyer on. And, um, you know, maybe you can get a bat out of that that, that, that really takes off because he, he has a pedigree of being good in the past, especially as a prospect. And, um, you know, it's one of those kind of buy low type things that, that could work out. Um, Jan Gomes is a guy who, uh, veteran catcher, um, you know, I don't know what this means for the Cubs because they obviously have Contreras still. Um, but Jan Gomes is a guy who he probably should be a backup catcher at this stage, or at least a time, time splitting catcher. Um, maybe they decide to play Contreras in the field a little bit, maybe out in the outfield left fielder or something. Um, maybe a little bit of first base with, with Rizzo not there anymore. Um, possible DH even possible DH depending on how that goes. Um, so young Gomes is definitely more of a defensive catcher. Um, at least he has been, you know, the past couple of years, um, still put up a league average slash line in 2020, uh, 2021. He was uh, a mid season trade, I believe to Oakland. Yeah. Um, and, uh, from, from Washington and, um, he was just okay this year, put up 1.6 war, um, you know, solid defender, veteran catcher. You can never, go wrong with signing a veteran catcher and i uh, i believe his deal was what two years 13 million is that what it was yep yeah and it has a club option so uh, but the big the big one here is marcus stroman um marcus stroman is a little bit of a polarizing type guy personality wise which is kind of a a thing to uh, look for for a team that doesn't really have an identity right now going into a rebuild um which is a uh, you know probably a, a good thing for the cubs they need somebody with a little bit of attitude to bring into that rebuild um and he's a guy that, um, you know, put up a great year this year. Uh, I'm really surprised at how weak his contract he got was. I was assuming it would be, he'd be at least five year guy. He's not very old. He's only, you know, he's only 30. He'll, this will be his age 31 season. So it's not like a 35, 36 year old that's going to get a really short deal. And the AAV at 70, you know, $71 million total for the contract puts it at, $23.7 million, which is fairly low for a guy like Marcus Stroman on a short contract. So um, definitely interesting. Uh, had one of his best his, his best year last year in 2019. But, I mean, sorry, a year before last, 2019, uh, splitting time between Toronto and New York. And then this past year was really solid in New York. So um, definitely a guy who's a great ground ball pitcher. Um, he's increased his strikeout rate a little bit since he got to New York, which has been a big deal for him. And, um, I mean, his results, his last two full seasons speak for themselves, a, a sub three, a three twenty two ERA 2019 and a three Oh two ERA in 2021. So, um, but this is definitely a guy who, you know, you build, you build around him with an infield defense that is, you know, really good. And that's something that we're yet to see from the Cubs. They currently have Patrick wisdom and Frank Schwindel at the corners. So, um, we'll see how that ends up working out for him. They definitely will need a um, to work on their infield defense, but um, but this is a good signing for them. It, it does feel kind of weird time frame wise because they, as currently constructed, unless they sign two or three more really good players in free agency, 
is currently constructed. They're not a very good team. So by the time Marcus Stroman leaves in three years, they, you know, it might've just been, you know, it, it might not work. It might not really work out for them. You know, it might just be paying a guy to, to be there during some lean years, but we'll see what ends up happening with that. Um, and uh, obviously there's more there's yet to be done stuff yet to be done this off season. So. Yeah, it is interesting that, um, you know, I did think that the contract for the the length of time, at least, I thought he would get, you know, at least a four, maybe even a five year deal. Um, I, I didn't know if he was going to get much of an more of an AAV. I thought I had right around 24, 25 for him anyways. Um, it is just interesting the way that it all happened. You know, there wasn't much, much, much smoke about it. He was very vocal on, you know, on Twitter about him not having the you know, the offers that he thought he should have and the interest he thought he should have um, prior to the lockout. And then it kind of just all came together with the Cubs at the last minute for him. Um, and I think it was like the day before the lockout. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, like you said, especially their, with their infield defense, which they have Wisdom, Schwindel. They also have uh, Nick Madrigal and Nico Horner as their starting middle infield at the moment. That's also not great. There are rumors um, even though there's the lockout, there are some rumors about the Cubs really being interested in wanting to get into the Carlos Correa market. Um, so if that, you know, that's going to be really interesting if that were to happen. Um, but it is more interesting because it doesn't feel like the Cubs are that particularly close. It feels like they just kind of went in the other direction of the, you know, like, hey, let's go to the more of a rebuild area. But then now we also want to go just we want to get right back into the free agency market, sign one of the top starting pitchers. If we do sign one of the top shortstops now, sign a good backup catcher, you know, but are we going to potentially trade Contreras? Because after the Gomes signing, there was a lot of rumors that Contreras was going to be on the market already. And he's already been shopped the past couple years already. Um you know, the Frazier deal is interesting because he does come with more club control. I think he's controlled until 2025 um, because he was DFA'd by the Yankees. So so you get some control with him at least. Um, it, it's just going to be completely interesting. It feels like it's a weird, you know, because of the lockout and, and all the moves have stopped. It feels like a weird area that the Cubs are in, that they're kind of in that gray area. They're not really bad enough to be in the rebuild, but they're not really technically good enough to be a team that you – could count on to be a you know make a, a deep postseason run or, or you know a potential World Series contender. Um, so there's yeah. definitely some holes left to fill there. Yeah, one more note on them is that a couple of their guys that they I, I feel like the Cubs may be overvaluing a couple of their guys that came up and played well this year, like Swindle and Wisdom, um, because I really think that a lot of that was was a little bit of a mirage, you know, especially with um with 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 uh, I, I think I think that they both have a chance to be good big leaguers, but um, I think both of them are a little bit of you know batted ball luck. Neither one of them have very good plate discipline, um, and you know I don't think they can keep up what they did in this you know in their year this year, their first years this year, uh, long term. So you know maybe they do, maybe I'm wrong, um, but. You know, it feels like they're going to take a step back, and and you know, even with even 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 if you go out and sign a Carlos Correa, which would be huge for this team, there's still a lot a lot of empty space on this team because you look at their bullpen. You know, they have some decent looking pitchers on their bullpen, but they don't really have many many name guys. Uh, and you look at their lineup. I mean, this is an outfield that's going to start Ian Happ, Jason Hayward, and I guess they're probably going to start unless they sign somebody. 
Frazier. I mean, and Frazier is a guy who's played like a career high of like 65 games or something. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you're looking at, um, you know, like Rafael Ortega, journeyman who mm-hmm. had a good year this year when he played. But I mean, I, I, I definitely think that, I mean, for the Cubs to be, you know, they're going to have to go out, they're going to have to sign Correa plus they're going to have to sign Correa plus a Schwarber plus another pitcher. And they do still have Hendricks. But they're gonna have to go out and sign, uh, you know, a couple of bullpen pieces, and they're gonna ha- they're gonna have to trade for some guys too. Because I mean, they got they do have a pretty deep farm system now. I mean, there are a ton of things they're gonna have to do. And when you look at Marcus Stroman's contract, you know, three years, you know, it's gonna be difficult for them to put uh, a. They can put a competitive-ish team on the field, especially in that division. Uh, you know, within three years, even this coming up year, they could probably put a competitive team, but they're not going to put a World Series contender out there for three or four years at least. I mean, right. it's just the fact of the matter. Even if they, you know, went all in on free agents, I don't think you could add, unless you added, like, the top four free agents on the market right now to this team, I don't think they'd be, like, a like a legit World Series contender this year. So we'll see what happens, though. Um and I think that part of Marcus Stroman's decision, I don't think he really cared. I think he just wanted – I think he wanted to play in Chicago, and he liked – he wanted to play for the Cubs. So, yeah. um, you know, that's, that's what it all sounded like. So, you know, good for him. It's kind of similar to, like, that Manny Machado decision. You know, he wanted to play in Southern California, and the Padres gave him a really good offer, and he said, okay, well, even though they're not good yet, well, I'll go there. So yeah. – um, but the timing does feel kind of weird to me. So – yeah, it does for sure. But like you know, once this lockout ends, it'll be we'll get a ton of that, those questions answered for sure. But we'll go ahead and move on to the next one. Was a, a little bit of a smaller deal, but that's James Paxton signing a one-year, ten million with the Boston Red Sox. Um, that actually has a two-year club option on it. Yeah, this deal makes a lot of sense for both sides when you look at the way it's structured. Um, Boston needs a pitcher to replace. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez and James Paxton is a pitcher that can be really, really good. James Paxton never stays healthy. So he's pitched 21 innings in the last two seasons and his career high in innings pitched is 160. He's never made 30 starts. I mean, he's had a couple seasons where he was an ace level pitcher, like in 2017 when he put up a, you know, in, in 136 innings, put up a 298 ERA with a 261 fit and 4.4 wins above replacement. But, um, you know, he's a guy that just can't stay healthy. And, um, you know, if you're the Red Sox, you give him this one-year deal with the, with a two-year club option that, you know, if he stay, if he, if he's able to stay healthy this year, you know, you get that, you get that ability to sign him to a two-year deal easily. And if, you know, you can cut your ties with him if you, um, if he doesn't do well. So it, it makes sense. I do worry a little bit from the from their standpoint of uh, you know it feels almost feels like it could be just throw it away ten million dollars, but um, but we'll see what ends up happening. So, I mean, to me, there's no there's never really a bad one year deal in my eyes, um, and that that I'm viewing it as a one year deal right now. And if if Paxton proves to be worth more than that, then they're going to pick up the option. If he proves to be more of the injury risk and they don't see it, then it's a whatever for a, a team, you know, like the, the one year deals. Don't, I don't think it really matters much. I mean, how much you end up paying those guys. Um, 
because you're assuming the risk anyways on a one-year deal with a pitcher, especially a guy who pitched one inning last year. You know, you're 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 basically betting that he won't do anything, and you're hoping that he does. So yeah, that's the way I look at that one. But uh, we'll go ahead and move on to the next one, and that's with Rysel Iglesias re-signing with the Angels on a four-year, fifty-eight million dollar deal. Yeah, this made a lot of sense. Um, you know, the the Angels are a team that you know, needed bullpen help and, you know, losing your top reliever is, would not have helped their bullpen. So uh, definitely a good thing for them to bring him back. Um, You look at the fact that he had his best year of his career this year, um, you know, a 257 ERA, um, you know, in in 70 innings was one of the most used relievers. Um, You know, he had had a fantastic year, 34 saves. Uh, And he's been a good pitcher for a long time. He had one pretty mediocre year back in 20 uh 2019 with cincinnati but other than that i mean he's had a sub two five era every year since his rookie year just about so uh which was 2015 and he's always been a really reliable relief pitcher um when he was in cincinnati or in or in la uh with the with the uh, angels so um i mean this is a really good relief pitcher and he deserves every bit of this four-year contract and i'm really surprised that people don't talk about him in a better light than they do because this guy is, he, I mean, he's he's borderline elite reliever and has been for a long time. And he's never gets talked about in the same category as some of the more elite relievers out there. So he, he was non-tendered last year. So, or traded, traded for, traded. yeah, he was traded for a very weak return last year. Yeah. So he was traded for like Noe Ramirez, who was ended up like being DFA'd pretty soon after um, into the beginning of the season. But I absolutely agree. Rysel Iglesias has been one of those underrated relief pitchers for his entire major league career. He's been one of my favorite relief pitchers to watch over, you know, the time he's been in the major leagues. He's kind of got a little bit of a little sidearm delivery, but he throws absolute gas. I think he throws up to like 97 even with that. Um, He's just, like you said, he's been consistent i mean he's a sub three era pretty much relief pitcher every every year of his major league career outside of 2019 and his rookie season where he pitched 95 innings that rookie year and you know his his era was a 415 but his his fip was a 355 even um so he he absolutely deserves everything of this contract it's a great move for the angels um i think you know they they did offer they kind of hamstrung his market by offering him the qualifying offer um, and with, you know, not many teams are going to want to spend that money and a draft pick on a uh, on a relief pitcher, especially one who's 31 years old, um, going to be 32 probably when the season starts. So it made all the sense in the world for him to return to the Angels. And I'm glad that the Angels gave him a contract that was, you know, fair market value for a guy that he, you know, what he probably should deserve anyways. Yeah, Absolutely. So the next move we had was a it was a head scratching move when you look at it um, by the names on it, but once you start diving in a little bit more, it makes a little bit more sense. But that's the Boston Red Sox trading outfielder Hunter Renfro to the Milwaukee Brewers for outfielder Jackie Bradley Jr. and prospects David Hamilton and Alex Benilis. Yeah, we'll start with uh, Hunter Renfro and the Brewers getting a guy that can hit in this in this case and a guy who. Uh, can hit for power and, and you know the Brewers offense was really a, a downfall for them this past year um, and you know getting a little bit more power in that outfield is going to help them uh, especially the I was about to say especially they just lost their best hitter from this past year too and Vizel Garcia so 
um, you know, you're bringing in a guy who hit 31 home runs. Um, you know, he, he, he's cut his strikeout rate a lot over the past couple of years. Uh, he's all the way down to a, a 22% strikeout rate. Um, and, and, you know, he's not walking a ton still, but he's a guy who, um, you know, he, he's kind of your kind of your classic, like, corner outfield slugger who's not a great defender, not a great um, – not a great on base guy, but he can he can really hit he can really hit the ball a long way, and that's that's what you're getting in Hunter Renfro. Uh, we'll see maybe with the DH if if that, if that ends up being a thing this year, um, you know that can make the movie look even better because Hunter Renfro probably could be, uh, you know, I, I mean he's had a couple years where he was decent defensively, but he's probably more of a DH. Um, so uh, you know, looking at him uh, as a guy who uh, could definitely help the help them. Uh, they traded away Jackie Bradley Jr., which was probably more to do with cost than anything else. Um, and Jackie Bradley Jr. reuniting with the Red Sox, um, interestingly enough, um, you know, just uh, he's a weird player. He's had a couple of seasons that were so good um, both ways. He's always been a good defender, but offensively there's been times where he has been just unplayably bad uh and this past year was was one of those times i mean I, I, you look at a guy you know put up putting up a really good defensive season this past year um in fact it was the best defensive season of his career or ever since 2014 for him and still put up minus 0.8 war because he was so dreadful offensively a 35 wrc plus in 430 plate appearances this past year one of the worst in the big leagues at the plate. Um, but he's had a few years where he was closer to league average at the plate. And he's had a couple years back in 2015, 2016, where he was really good at the plate. So, you know, maybe this is a guy who, the you know, in Boston was definitely better than he's been in Milwaukee. So maybe they can unlock something and figure something back out. And he can have a little bit of a, a resurgence late in his career. He's, you know, 32 years old. Um, so maybe t- a tiny bit more upside than your typical guy you would get in a trade like this. But the big thing for the Red Sox was getting two pretty decent prospects and, and David Hamilton and Alex Benelis. Yeah. So the, both of those prospects, there's, you know, they're overall both boarding future value on fan graphs, but there's been a lot of rave reviews um, that people have been reporting from a lot of scouts through over that they believe those guys are probably better than what the, uh, you know, what it says on paper. Um, and to get that also with a guy like Jackie Bradley Jr. taking on that twelve million dollar contract, um, you know, it, it sounds like a really good deal for the Red Sox. Um, you get a guy you know, back in your you know, your system and Jackie Bradley Jr. who, like you said, has had some really good years there, uh, and hopefully you can just pretty much, you know, get him back to what he was. I mean, even in twenty twenty when he was there, he had a really good season, a two eighty three average of 360 on base you know 119 wrc plus you know that is in the shortened season that was in 55 games but still um you know if you can find get jackie bradley back to doing what he always did in boston i think that's kind of just what you would take um and for the the brewers it makes sense because he gets the you know you're getting an offensive slugger and he has a couple years of control where bradley was i think his contract was up after this year and had an option year to where if you wanted that uh, but you get a guy who's straight up still in arbitration for two more years. 
uh, and you know maybe he could fill the void of what Garcia did. And it's kind of an addition by subtraction. Maybe you're getting rid of a guy who was so bad offensively that maybe that helps your team even some more. Even though you're you know you're not getting as much production from Renfro as what you would be getting from a guy like Abasael Garcia. So it's pretty interesting, you know, on the surface looking at it that way. But once you dive deep down in, it, it does make even a little bit more sense for both of these teams, really. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so our next move is one that I really like, um, and it is that Corey Knabel is heading to Philadelphia on a one-year $10 million deal. Yeah, this makes a lot of sense for the Phillies. They have struggled with that bullpen for uh, you know for the past couple years. Um, they've tried to sign guys like David Robertson uh, that didn't really work out. They've signed a couple other guys who really haven't worked out either. Um, Knable is a legitimate closer in baseball. He's you know he's probably a better setup man, but still he can be an elite closer. Uh, you look back at the year, what was it? It was twenty seventeen when he was the closer for Milwaukee. Um, you know, 39 saves, 76 innings that year with a 178 ERA and a 253 FIP. Um, even in, uh, you know, then they had Josh Hader starting to come up. So they kind of used Hader as a closer sometimes and Knable sometimes as a closer. In 2018, he still had a really good year, 358 ERA, 55 innings. Um, 2019, I believe, I think he ended up having Tommy John there at the end of 2018, missed all of 2019, came back in 2020, didn't really look that great. Um, was ended up being traded to the Dodgers, uh, and he looked pretty good with the Dodgers this year. He did have a, uh, I think it was a lat strain that took him out for a good chunk of the season, uh, but he ended up coming back, pitching 25 innings um, with a 2.45 ERA, a 2.90 FIP. Uh, he was even an opener in some of those playoff games. So it, it's pretty much he's going to get into the closing role there in Houston, or not Houston, with Philadelphia with um, Hector Neris moving on to Houston. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see if they can fill in that bullpen to bridge the gap to Knable because that's something they've really struggled with the past couple of years. Um, but if they can get Knable locking down that ninth inning, you know, maybe if they can if they can find a way to bridge that, the Phillies could you know could get themselves into a, that division battle some more. Yeah, and I, I agree with a lot of that. Um, you know, Corey Knable is a guy who. Uh, has definitely been better um, this past year. You know, I think he, he came back from injury in 2020. And I think he had Tommy John surgery in 20, in, you know, in late 2018. Yeah. Um. So you know, he struggled in 2020 in the shortened season coming back from injury. But this past year, when he was healthy, was pretty good. Um. I, I'm I'm with you. I definitely think of him as more of a set as a setup guy. But he's also a closer when you're set when you're you know, last year you had Ian Kennedy closing your games in 2020 so i mean in 2021 you had ian kennedy closing so i mean it's definitely a case where you need um you need some help uh in that bullpen and he's probably going to step in and immediately be their best reliever so um which is still a little bit of a scary thought as Corey canable being your only good reliever right now but uh you never know they might find some most good relievers are found through you know waiver claims and uh converted starters and, and stuff like that so um, that's definitely something to look at. And, um, but, uh, but yeah, definitely a good signing for Philly. They desperately needed something like this. Yeah. And for Philly fans, I mean, their bright spot could be that their best reliever had been Hector Neris for the past couple of years. And now you're going to Corey Knable. So that's an immediate automatic upgrade. Um, so if, if there's a little bright spot there, it's that, but we'll go ahead and move on to our last free agency deal. We've at least had, um, happen so far. 
and that's with Chris Taylor re-signing with the LA Dodgers on a four-year, $60 million deal. Yeah, and Chris Taylor's a really solid player. We talked about him uh, a lot, you know, coming into free agency. And, um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, has always put up pretty good numbers. Uh, high strikeout guy, uh, which can be a little bit frustrating at times. But um, he's got a good plate discipline, walks a pretty good amount. Uh, he's got, you know, got that patience that all the Dodgers have. Hits for some power. Uh, hits lefties extremely well and can play just, just about anywhere on the field at a, at a pretty high level. So um, with Kike Hernandez leaving for, for Boston last year, um, he's somebody who was desperately needed uh, to stay for, in uh, in L.A., you know, needing that, that, that uh, you know, that, that utility guy that, that plays that Kike Hernandez role. And Chris Taylor is going to be able to do that. You know, if you ever have an injury, say Justin Turner has to miss, you know, a couple weeks or something, uh, you can throw him at third base. Say, uh, you know, you're going to be a little bit weaker in the middle infield with Seager gone. So, you know, he can play second or short whenever you need him to. Uh, you know, need a lefty to hit in the outfield for, for a game or two. There he, you've got a guy. So, um, you know, that's definitely he's definitely a guy that's really going to help them out. Um, and, I mean, they, he's somebody they probably really needed to bring back. Um, so a good, good signing for the Dodgers. Yeah, especially you mentioned the Kike Hernandez leaving last year, um, you know, to go to Boston to get that more of a full-time role. Taylor could have easily done that. He could have easily – he had bigger contract offers to go other places and be a full-time um, everyday player. I, I think even one of them was in Seattle where he was originally um, drafted and then traded to the Dodgers later on. But he chose to go back to the Dodgers and take a little less money to go back and play – you know, that utility type role. It's one that he, he really thrives in. It's one he actually enjoys a lot, being able to play a bunch of different positions and not be locked in at one different position. Um, and with, with the, the losing Corey Seager this year, I had said that Seager all along with our little conversations out and to all of our friends that Taylor was the, the second most important signing behind Corey Seager to me. Like he is just so much of an important player to this team with everything he does. Um, you know, by playing all those different positions, playing all of them really well. I mean, you you know, he's not an elite level defensive third baseman, but he still plays it at a, you know a slightly maybe below league average or league average level, you know, defensively. And and his offense, he's a guy who can carry a team at times. I mean, look at you know in the wild card game, he had that the big walk off homer. In one of the other playoff games, he had like a or one of the other games later on, he had a three homer game. Um, it's just, he just seems to always have those clutch moments for this team. And he's a guy who was desperately needed back. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, definitely good, good on the Dodgers for bringing him back, but, um, got to move on now. Um, you know, that's pretty much all the major free agent signings we had. Uh, there are a few other ones, but, um, you know, they weren't quite as big, um, you know, a couple of, you know, minor leagues, free agent signing type guys, um, and, uh, you know, so, some other little stuff. But um, the, the two other pretty big moves that we had, which these actually have come after the lockout because they're in coaching. And the first one that we want to talk about is Buck Showalter go, being hired as the uh, manager of the New York Mets. Yeah, this is a very Mets move, if I've ever seen one. Um, a guy who has been out of managing since 2018 when he was with the Baltimore Orioles. Um, he's been on basically, I think MLB network ever since then, um, 65 year old, 
manager has almost a 500 just a little over 500 record in, in his career um most of that's because of the really bad couple teams he's had in baltimore um the last couple of years but i show walter i mean he's a good manager but i just don't think that he's a manager that's going to thrive in you know today's game i mean i could be wrong we've seen guys like dusty baker be able to come in and do it we saw tony larusa even with all of his troubles that he had in the clubhouse at the beginning of the year he still put a winning team on the field um it's more probably of a stability factor of a guy who's going to come in a manager and be more of an even keeled guy rather than the young energetic trying to come in and and you know win over everybody show walter's not going to do that he's he's going to have his ways of doing it he's going to be He's going to manage more of the old school style, um, and that might be beneficial to the team um, with, you know, with being able to connect with those guys and have more of a everyday like set roles rather than, hey, kind of stuff's fluid, which you get with the younger managers and more analytic based things. Um, I just don't think it's the the best hire that they could have had. You know, I, I out of their their guys, I thought, think maybe Joe Espada probably would have been a better guy. I even would have rather seen them bring back Carlos Beltran. Um, it wouldn't have been the best in the media eyes, but I, I think that that would have been a better move for them than hiring Buck Showalter. Yeah, the one thing about this is I, I think that Buck Showalter in some situations would do just fine, but I really feel like the Mets are going to have an issue with clashing personalities in that clubhouse. you got some really strong personalities in there. Francisco Lindor's one. Max Scherzer's one. DeGrom's a pretty strong personality. Um, and... I just have a feeling those that it's gonna they're gonna clash. Edwin um, Diaz even. Edwin Diaz can yeah. I mean it just it just feels like they're gonna have a. It feels like there's gonna be a lot of clashing, and I don't really think that Buck Showalter's the type of guy who's gonna help that. Because uh, I do think that you know people that like him are a little bit more. Um, you know they're a little bit more set in their ways, as you said. Hard hard-nosed and they're probably not going to take quite as much from um from other from 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 players and i just don't think that's going to fit with with what they have so um definitely something that i think is um pretty good for you know i think he he could do a fine job for them he's been sitting back and watching the last couple years um but he's um definitely definitely going to be an interesting Definitely going to be an interesting look there, um, and we'll see how it works out. So, yeah, it's going to be. Can he? Is he going to clash with like kind of the same way Larusa did with the players to begin the season? But then, can he get them to buy in the the way that Chicago kind of did later on? You know, kind of in the middle of summer, that's when the the White Sox kind of flipped the switch and they kind of bought in more to the Larusa method. Um, you know, and they were one of the best teams in baseball, you know, since that point. But at the beginning of the year, there was a lot of controversy around it all. So it's going to be interesting to see that. Um, I just, I just don't. I don't think it's going to turn out that great, to be honest. But. Yeah, I, I would have to. I'd have to agree with that. I just don't think that clubhouse is put together very well. If you go look at a lot of the teams that have won in the last few years, you know, um, the Dodgers. Look at this year's Braves team. Um, you know, look at the Rays, those clubhouses, those teams had a lot of chemistry and those clubhouses, you know, collectively were, were really good together. And I just don't know, 
and I think a lot of that has to do with the players that were put together, but also with the managers. And I just don't know if that's going to be the case here. And they really need a really good people manager to make it work. And I just don't know. I mean, and, and it could work out. I mean, Buck Showalter could do that. I, we don't. We don't know. Um, but it's entirely possible that that could end up being the case. But um, but who knows? So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Yeah. So the the other manager hiring we had was the Oakland A's. Um, just actually yesterday, formally announced Mark Kotze as their new manager. Um, Kotze is a guy who, uh, ever since he had retired, he went into coaching with the A's as a, a bench coach, I believe, in 2015 and 2016. Um, then he ended up becoming a quality control coach for a few seasons for them. Um, and then last year actually became their third base coach. Um, then with the departure of, um, of Bob Melvin this year, uh, he was the odds-on favorite to become the manager, and, and they officially hired him yesterday. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, this is a case where it, the, you know, the A's dropped Bob Melvin because they didn't want to pay him. And, uh, you know, they're going to give another guy an opportunity because they're probably going to do a rebuild, which is fine. And I think Mark Kotze is very well respected in, in baseball. And I think a lot of people like him. He was a player fairly recently, you know, in, in the early 20, you know, 2010s. He was still playing on the field. Um, he's a guy that, you know, was that played, played for the A's for a few years, probably had his best seasons with the A's. Um, you know, he played a long time, 1997. Uh, he was on the world champion Marlins team, and uh, you know he played all the way till 2013 at a 16-year career, which is pretty remarkable. Um, but he's a uh, you know a pretty solid player in his own right, and uh, I think he'll do a pretty good job with the um, you know with with the uh, with the Oakland A's as a guy who um, you know I, I think is uh, it's gonna be hard to it's gonna be hard to have a really good record there, but yeah. uh, you know I think he'll do a pretty good job for him so. Yeah, I just hope that it's not one of those situations where, like, hey, we're just going to tab this guy as kind of like the lame duck manager. Just like, hey, we know we're going to be bad, and then we're going to kind of blame you for us being bad a little bit, and then we're going to fire you in the you know in two or three seasons. Like, I really hope that's not the case because, like you said, Mark Kotze is he's really well respected. He was even respected as a player. Um, you know, he was never that 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 superstar, but he was a, a decent MLB player. Um, and I just, I hope that he gets his fair shot, um, you know, one day, especially if, if he stays with, with, uh, with Oakland or, you know, if he decides to end up moving on or they decide to move on for him, that he gets a, another shot somewhere with a, a team that is in a better shape because it, you know, you're look, we're looking at an Oakland A's team that, you know, if the lockout wasn't happening, we'd be talking about a potential Matt Olson trade or Matt Chapman trade or Sean Mania getting traded a team that's already lost Marcus Simeon, you know, last year just they're going into that that they're not going to be good at all um and yeah I, I just feel like he's going to get a he's not going to get a fair shake out of it they're looking like the next rangers you know the rangers are pulling out of it now they've made some signings they made some moves he feels like the next rangers group so yeah. um i mean the thing about a manager like this going through a rebuild is that it can work out because i mean some teams have found their manager through through a rebuild like this i mean look at the braves brian snicker you know he was brought in a lot of people thought of him as a lame duck manager and that you know he'd finish out the rebuild then they go hire somebody else as, as soon as the team started to get good again but you know you, when you look at the when you look at them um you know brian snicker did a good job their record got better after he after he was the uh you know after he was promoted 
and then they, you know, he's stuck with them and they've won the division, you know, four years in a row and they just won the world series. So, uh, and he's one manager of the year. So you just never know. Um, I don't think they're just gonna, I don't think they're going to give him no shot. I don't think he'll get fired before, unless something, you know, crazy happens until, you know, they might get to a situation where they decide not to renew his contract, you know, when he gets there. But, um, but we'll see what happens. It's going to be very interesting uh, to see how Mark Kotze does and to see what direction that A's take on. They haven't taken on a true rebuild in a long time. Um, so we'll see what we'll see what direction they go. That's kind of become the wave recently, while the A's have kind of, for the last you know 20 years or so, have made their money off of you know playing, playing money ball and putting a good product on the field every year with some more unknown names. You know, it's kind of been their thing has been to kind of patch together a 80 to 90 win team every year with some, uh, you know, sneaky signings and trades and not really have to rebuild, rebuild. But this is looking like it's about to be a rebuild. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see for sure. Um, now, we just wanted to kind of do hit on a little bit of the lockout talk of what we've heard, um, you know, being reported through all of the baseball reporters or whatever. Um, it doesn't seem like much movement of the core economics or, or anything is going to happen until, you know, at least January, if not even, you know, beginning of February, hopefully not. But, um, you know, it, it just seems like there's not really much movement. Um, it doesn't seem like there's much urgency on each side, really. Um, it seems like each side just kind of really stuck on which way they want things to be. And there's just no real budging from either side. Yeah, so the the last you know first off i want to touch on the last couple of days before the lockout i think on both sides it was very inappropriate the way they treated it and publicly both sides were and i'm not you know i'm not trying to place blame on players or owners or whatever i'm just saying both sides it was inappropriate to to you know you've got the major league baseball hanging in the balance the you know ability to have a 2022 season uh, possibly, and I mean, you have the owners making ridiculous offers that there's no way they're going to happen. You have the players straight up walking out of meetings, and then the owners straight up walking out of meetings. I mean, that's all just a bunch of you know PR and stuff, trying to make the other side feel like, uh, you know, feel like you know, trying to trying to get you know public relations on their side. And then of course you have that right as soon as the lockout started, you have the the you know everything on like mlb.com and stuff getting pulled down player wise, all the players having their having ghost heads. I mean it's both sides is just like and and a lot of it's been on the major league baseball side, but I mean it, it really feels inappropriate the way things have been done. Um, and at a certain point, somebody's going to have to come to a concession. I mean, the players need to understand that, you know, a lot of owners, like it or not, are in it to make money. And, you know, not every owner is going to spend an absolute ton and get rid of – so so stuff like, you know, if you're wanting a salary floor, you're probably going to have to go to a little bit more of a cap. I mean, it's probably just going to happen. I mean, if you're going to try to, you know, if you're going to want to ch- take out some – um, you know, if you want to take out some years of free agency in certain situations, then something's going to change. Something you're not going to you're not going to just automatically get that because because the uh and then from the owner's standpoint, you've got to quit playing just these goofy games and stuff like like the taking everybody's pictures down and you know making ridiculous offers that you know are no way are going to happen. I mean. So this whole thing, it's 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 two sides. You know, the owner's probably a little bit more acting like childs. Like acting like children, 
Um, definitely the owners being more so on that, but um, you know, I, I just I just hope that both sides understand that nothing good comes out of doing nothing, and you know the players don't get paid, they don't get to play. The fans are deprived more than anybody else. The owners lose all kinds of money, revenue that they would get. I mean, so somebody's going to have to come to a concession. I think baseball has the most player-friendly collective bargaining or, or had the most player-friendly rules out of any organization. And the owners are going to have to realize that that's the way things have been for a long time, and you're not just going to be able to change that. I mean, you know, like – you know, other sports have a salary cap. That doesn't mean baseball is going to have a salary cap. You're, you're probably not going to be able to just do that. So I think um, if you go down, if you if you go down the list and you look at the, the owners, um, I mean, I you know, I, I I feel I feel like there there really needs to be some movement happen soon. And um, but but we'll see what happens. So yeah, it's you know, it's come down to the the past couple years, th- this last CBA and even the one before it really it was more sided towards the owners. The players kind of got taken to the woodshed over the past couple CBAs. And that's, that's wide, widely known. Um, and it seems like the owners are like, Hey, well, it's not our fault that you, that you had agreed to this stuff and we don't want to give any of it back. And the players rightfully are like, well, we're now we're understanding that this isn't, you know, this isn't what we all thought it would be and that it's not as, you know, it's not, we need to change it, and that, I mean, that's why they do these, these, you know, these CBA agreements for so many years, so that it can change and stuff can be bargained and whatever. But it just seems like it's a, you know, it's it's a stone wall meeting a stone wall here. It's like there's neither side wants, you know, wants to make much movement on what they really want. The owners don't want to change what it is. The players understand that they want everything to change, and the players are like, well, we're not going to concede any of what we want to change, and the owners are like, well, we're not going to give you anything back. And you know, I, I think they both do realize that they need the baseball season, especially since we're just coming off of 2020, where we, you know, it was a shortened season. We didn't have fans in the stands. The revenue was lost. The money was lost there. I think the owners understand like, Hey, that can't happen again. And they're being really reluctant. But I think at the end of the day, the players even know this, like, dude, look that, that happened. And that's going to happen again. If the, if you don't pull, you know, if you don't come to, to an agreement with us. And I think the players are going to end up holding that over the owner's head. And we might see, um, we might see a more of a player friendly deal than we might have. If, you know, 2020 didn't happen uh, just because of that, like, you know, with 2021, we didn't even have full, you know, you know, full capacity stands everywhere all the time. And the owners, you know, they could still still fill that some. Yeah. And, and like I say, I mean, you have to, you know, you're going to have to concede some things on both sides. I mean, the, but like, like I said, the fact of the matter is, I think the owners have been able to get away with, you know, these last couple CBAs just because the, the play, the, the MLB rules are unbelievably player friendly what other sport are we seeing teams with multiple contracts at you know 300 million dollars i mean i you know you you've in the nfl you've seen maybe one i mean nobody's putting getting 30 million dollars a year in any other sport so like i i just I mean, I, I don't know. I, I and from the owner's perspective, I mean, you're right. And, and the fact that and this is the shame for it all. 
is that if this does carry on and we start to get real talk about spring right now it's not a big deal i don't think i mean right now like nobody you look back on this year nobody's going to care if someone signed on december 22nd or or you know january 22nd you know when you get down into um you know, into twenty, into into the, you know, start starting to threaten spring training, and if you start to miss part of spring training, this is a that's gonna be a, such a big PR hit for 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 baseball in general because I know that back in 1994 when the when it expired and they didn't play a World Series, there were millions of baseball fans that quit watching the game in general because they looked at it as a bunch of rich owners not, you know, not 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 paying people what they should be pay, get paid and a bunch of players who are getting paid millions of dollars, you know, crying about not getting paid more money. I, I think that, I think that's the way people look at it both on both sides. It's a bunch of rich people squabbling. And I think that, you know, that hurts PR and this season of major league baseball, there were so many good things that happened for, for the momentum of the game this year. You know, there was the, the field of dreams game that got, you know, one of the highest rated regular season games in years. You know, you had a postseason that that had a lot of parity and a fantastic, uh, fantastic ratings all postseason. I mean, it was one of those things that you know you cannot if you're if you're on both sides you cannot afford to take that PR hit after the season that happened this year. That what that wonderful season we just had after COVID. It was one of the best seasons of baseball ever at, for, to a lot of people, and you're just kind of ruin that by you know by not by squabbling over things. And I really think that they need to come to something. I think that it needs to happen by the end of January. It really does. Or it starts to become a big news story and it becomes a problem. So we'll see what happens. I think, um, you know, I, I think that we, we were going to talk quickly about the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, there have been a couple of little meetings, uh, but most of them have been brief and, the reports have been they're they're maybe trying to get, get some momentum by talking about some of the smaller things, probably some more of the like in-game rule change type things, like like the DH or, you know, stuff like that. That's not that big of a deal, uh, in the grand scheme of things, like like the money stuff is, uh, that maybe could could help make maybe agreeing on some of those things could help get to um get you some momentum moving forward. But uh, but we'll see. I mean, it's it's pretty rough right now. I think. It is rough, and I don't think that it's gonna be you know turn around anytime soon. Um, you know, I, I think I would. I mean, everyone would like it to be done by the end of January, but I don't even I don't see that happening, really. I mean, the game needs it to be, but I just don't think that it will be because of how much bad blood there is between the owners and the um, and the players right now. And I don't think it's completely fair to to compare what baseball does to what you know football does or what. NBA does it's completely different baseball has way many or you know way more games they have much more volume of games they have the amount of fans that they bring in over the year is more they have their regional sports deals um, you know each team has their own TV contract as well it it it's completely different than what the other sports are and I it's not I don't think there's a fair way to really say well look NFL doesn't have 300 you know multiple right. million dollar guys I, I and baseball does yeah. but it's, i don't disagree completely with that i'm just saying in general like salary cap there's no salary cap in baseball that's right. kind of the big and thing there, that's there's, there's a salary cap in every sport outside of soccer in the world and, and not in baseball i mean that's kind of the thing that 
you know, that's the limiting factor for contracts typically is the fact that you can't fit it into your cap. And now teams can spend as much as they want to. Yeah. I mean, but I don't, that that's not going to change. Like that's the thing in, in the whole, like maybe the salary floor thing, but what the owners are wanting, they're like, Oh, well, we'll give you, we'll give you a salary floor. Um, you know, but we want like, we want the revenue to be different. Like we want the people who exceed the luxury tax to pay the additional like $30 million. It's going to take the team from spending $70 million to a hundred million dollars. And like that, the players don't care about that. Like that, 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 that doesn't matter, but the owners think it's such a big chip or whatever, or they think the universal DH is a much bigger chip bargaining chip than what it really is. Like, it's going to take both sides realizing that some of their chips aren't as big as what they think it is. And the other chips that they think are so big aren't as big as what they think it is. Like the, the players are going to have to know, like they know the universal DH, everybody wants it, but the owners are thinking it's such a big chip when it's really not. And then like they're the, the players expanded playoffs. They think that's such a big chip for the owners in reality when it's really not like, some of some of these things that people they're trying to overplay right now and they're going to come to a time hopefully it's soon hopefully it's in january where they realize it's not as big as what we thought it is yeah and uh you know the one the one thing that that really does hurt through this bargaining is you know obviously that those issues aren't going away in the in the very near future but something that's kind of going on everywhere is um that you have a uh, you have you have players that are currently getting really hurt by this. Uh, I, I saw something today that Charlie Morton, who you know was famously injured in the first inning of the World Series, or not the first inning, but like second inning of the game one of the World Series this year. Um, you know he had a broken leg and he can't even speak. He can't even send his X-rays to the Braves doctors without you know the fear that he's that he's going to get them in trouble. Well, um, look, at, look at Zach Britton. So, who the pitcher for the Yankees on the 40 man roster, he technically under the current rules can't even talk to his brother because his brother is a minor league manager in for Baltimore. Like that, that's completely ridiculous. I mean, I, I'm sure they're still going to talk and stuff, but it, like under the rules, he technically can't speak to his own brother because of it, like without getting him in trouble or getting either one of them in trouble. Like, yeah. It's just it's, ridiculous. Yeah. But anyways but yeah we'll um we'll hope to hope to have you know news you know that that comes up soon uh but just to close us out um you know i i just wanted to we talked so much about the free agency but and and lockout but after the lockout ends uh you know we'll have a lot of free agents that you know big free agents left to sign um these are the ones the top ones that didn't make it uh and it didn't sign a contract before the lockout that's freddie freeman anthony rizzo chris bryant kyle seager Corey, uh carlos correa um trevor story kyle schwarber nick castellanos michael conforto nelson cruz carlos rodon clayton kershaw zach granke eddie rosario tommy Pham, jorge soler and kenley jansen these are all guys we're expecting to to get pretty decent contract offers that, that haven't signed yet so uh as soon as that lockout ends there are still a lot of guys left out there um, and uh, hopefully that lockout ends pretty soon because these guys will get stranded uh, and not have a place to go come come spring training or maybe even the start of the regular season if they don't, that doesn't get handled soon. Yeah, and on top of that, you have the, the trade market, which is supposed to have guys like Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, Matt Olson, yeah. Sean Manaya, Matt Chapman, 
Um, I mean, there's even others that I didn't mention there, but there's still a lot of moves to be made, either free agency wise or trade market wise. But everything, you know, like we said, has been on this hold um, because of this lockout. And the sad part is, is we don't even know, you know, going forward how much information we're going to get and what kind of, you know, shows we're even going to be able to bring because of the lack of information and the lack of movement from everything. I mean, we just covered, you know, we're going to wrap up all of our free agency and trade stuff that happened. And basically we're going to be going into this, you know, starting the new year with, with just basically trying to manufacture stories to talk about, um, which kind of really sucks. Yep. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll try and figure something out. We might do a smaller episode next week that we've been working on. Um, and, uh, and maybe not as much baseball talk, but, We'll uh, we'll figure that out next week. But thank you guys for for tuning in and, and dealing with us through that that two week hiatus, three week hiatus we really had. Um, and uh, we'll uh, we'll try and get back to, to starting this new year and with a uh, more consistent uh, more consistent episodes. Yeah, uh, we'll be uh, we'll be here and uh, we'll um, we'll try not to take it take a three week break again. So yeah, don't recommend getting the flu for anybody. Uh, yeah. That will take you out for about two to three weeks. But. Yeah. But thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Batflip Podcast, and we'll catch you guys next week. All right. Thanks, everybody.